Yeah, that's right. Playing guitar for you today and offering you tons of cool blazing shred tips is virtuoso fret melting shredopotamus Michelangelo Badio. He'll also be sharing tracks from his new record, which is More Machine Than Man, Rat Pack Records. It's episode 119 of No Guitar Is Safe, and it's brought to you by Blue Microphones. Doesn't matter what kind of music you make or what kind of productions you do, Blue does have the perfect microphone for you. Check them out at bluemic.com. That's bluemic.com. I'm going to give you the keys to the Lamborghini. Yeah, that is a classic line in the history of shred guitar videos right there. That is the Speed Kills video. It's still available at metalmethod.com. Michelangelo Badio, what a great moment. Epic shred tune there, no boundaries. And of course, that's Doug Mark's site, metalmethod.com. They've partnered on that. I thought we would start off with a little bit of that simply because when you think about the history of shredders, I mean, who is the quintessential shredder? Like Ingve, kind of, but he's got single coil pickups and he's kind of very Blackmore-esque, Richie Blackmore inspired. Steve Vai, yes, but he's got a lot of Zappa and Stravinsky and he kind of pushes the boundaries a little bit. Note for note, when you get down to it and you think about Michelangelo Badio, and his double neck guitar shooting off in each direction, sometimes with laser beams coming out of it and such, like a mirror image, like a wing of a fighter plane, and all of his alternate picking prowess and the neoclassical place where he comes from and just the unbridled celebration of blazing patterns up and down the fretboard. Yeah, Michelangelo might just be the poster child for anything goes, billion note, unbridled, classic shred. Really inspiring to hang out with him because he's an eternal student of music. He's got a new album called More Machine Than Man, and it rocks. an inspiring hang and I could not have done it without Blue Microphones. Thank you Blue for making this possible. Blue's been making microphones for 25 years now and today they're the mic of choice for millions of musicians, podcasters, creators worldwide on every level of production. I mean it could be major label album sessions down to demo studios, down to podcast studios like right here where I'm coming to you. I love my Blue Mic. Can't wait to try some more, like some of their USB line, which goes straight into your computer if you want to skip the interface. You'll find their mics like the Yeti and the Bluebird practically everywhere. So check out Blue, because people of every production level choose Blue to elevate their productions. You know, whether you're just starting out or looking for a new sonic color to add to your mix, be sure to visit bluemic.com and click Get Started, and you'll find the perfect mic for you. Yes, it's really fun hanging out with uh, Michelangelo, and I'll put up videos of this on the YouTube channel for me, Jude Gold, and other clips elsewhere, like on the No Guitar Is Safe Facebook page, or on any of my other socials, so 
Michelangelo is also going to teach you how to play a right-handed guitar and a left-handed guitar at the same time, as well as his over-under technique where his fretting hand goes over the neck. And he will, at the end of the episode, play a special version for you of Hands Without Shadows, private concert, a full song at the end of the interview. Without further ado, let's head over to the outskirts of Chicago. Keep it alive to you, 95, y'all. Great. I'm rolling. You're rolling? Yeah, I'm looking. I'm seeing waveforms being recorded, so I can send you uh, two tracks. Fantastic. I really appreciate yeah. it. Would you mind, uh, like, when you were just kind of warming up and doing so, just people love to hear yeah. you play. great <laughs> it should look okay yeah, it looks great so yeah you, when yeah. you're doing zooms and stuff you have a little light on your face or something how does it look does it uh, yeah it, it's the circular light oh yeah the that ring fits light. around the phone yeah it's a ring light yeah and it's yeah. an led so it doesn't emit heat and you know it just, it really makes a big difference yeah that is great now this room that you're in i can't tell if it's your house or a music store <laughs> it's my studio in my house it's you know i live cave. in the sh- yeah, yeah, it's it's the man cave, you know. It's a, but I, I've, uh, I, you know, I'm from the Midwest in Chicago, so north, and I live in the burbs now. But it, it you, I had the option to get a full basement, so I, my dad was a builder, and uh, I went on tour. He said how much it was going to cost. I came back, and I had a finished studio. Oh, that's. <laughs> then we just moved the gear, and yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah, my dad was cool. He's not around anymore, unfortunately, but but wow. yeah, he really helped me out a lot with the house and. You know, upstairs, I've got a big guitar collection, and I I like it. That's great. So I'm less than an hour. It takes me an hour to go to downtown Chicago. and And then, yeah, I've got five minutes northeast or uh, northwest of me is farmland. So I've got kind of the best of both, you know. I like it out here. That's great. Yeah, my, my, you know, I've lead singer of Jefferson Starship. She lives in Elmhurst, so I'm always hanging out in Elmhurst, just 24. 20 minutes out of Chicago. I, I used yeah. to live 10 minutes away. I, I grew up in yeah. Desplaines Park Ridge, really close to Elmhurst. Yeah. So that's not a Dean guitar you're holding there. No. Uh, what happened was the owner of Dean uh, passed away, the, the the main owner, Elliot Rubinson. Uh, he, we were super close. I mean, you know, he was like a family. We were like family. But um, ever since he died, which was in, in 2017, and, and really the end of 2016, it's just not the same company for me. So uh, there's an, you know, and I had some good offers. Uh, and But I there's a company in, uh, they're actually around Thousand Oaks. Uh, it's a music store called Go DPS. Companies called Sawtooth, Guitars, Amps, Drums. Uh, and then uh, they own also another company called Chromacast. And while their name isn't obviously as well known as, as uh, the company I was with before, They've got me on guitar, Rudy Sarzo on bass, Vinny Apice on drums, and they're just a fantastic company, and they're yeah. doing unbelievable. 
you know, they're deemed an essential business in LA, which, you know, you know, you live out there. I lived in California for a long time, but they're an amazing company, great people. uh, And and I can't be happier. So I've got a whole new line of signature guitars coming out, double guitar, everything, you know, COVID did a number to our schedule, but other, but, you know, we're hoping to get it out this year. You know, everything should be out uh, by the fall. Great. Yeah, it's really great. I'm glad we did this, you know, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm so cool or, but I don't always tour so my life doesn't just revolve around being on the road so in some ways COVID's been great because it's given me a lot of chance to be at home and just do what I don't normally do it just hang around the house yeah you you realize how much time you spend on airplanes traveling and all this stuff like how much time is you're not doing live music or playing guitar you're just traveling (laughs) yeah you know what I call I, I call it the rock star fix like it's been I had a major tour in just in the beginning of the year. So, you know, I went to NAM uh, for the company Sawtooth and I was there, Rudy. They have some really cool endorsies too, like Sean yeah. McNabb. And they're just yeah. a great company. Sounds I cool. can't say enough about But um, it. And then I had a tour right after NAM. I did about uh, 29 shows in about 33 days. And then COVID hit and the door slammed shut, you know, on touring. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I was supposed to be on tour now, you know, till, but I, but I have a, tour scheduled november 10th in europe for five weeks i'll be home right before you know the christmas holiday so we think it's gonna happen you know i mean so you know it it, europe's doing better than we are you know i think a lot of it i i must admit is a little bit political you know and i'm not a politician either way and you know i don't side with anything but europe seems to be opening up now yeah yeah you might have to be quarantined for a little while before you get in there (laughs) Just coming from America. Yeah, yeah. In fact, they're not even letting anybody in from America right now. Yeah, we might have a show in New Zealand in January. Uh, I mean, a string of shows, but they uh, want want us to quarantine for like 12 days in the country to prove that we're not. Oh, you mean in New Zealand? Yeah, you you arrive there and then you got to hang out and sit in a house on the beach could be terrible <laughs> I, I was just gonna say well that's a tough life <laughs> and i you know you've been to new zealand I've, I've been there before it's really beautiful you know it's just a beautiful oh, yeah. place yeah we went there once with toto nice like, nice so you got this this new record out that's amazing badlands Thanks. is like one of the singles i guess you got a killer video for it yeah i love Thanks. that you're practicing yeah. right now too I'm always playing. I love that. People, like <laughs> non-guitar players are like, hey, are you listening to me? But being a guitar player, I know that you are. Even though you're playing, you're still hearing me. <laughs> I actually I actually didn't realize I was playing. That's yeah, the yeah. whole... <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I'm always noodling around. And, and uh, But yeah, I, I, I this was uh, an album that in a, kind of a long time in the works. I started it in 2017. And then, you know, like a, like a lot of people, and I'm not saying I'm the only one, but I had some weird things happen in my life. The owner of Dean died. Okay, so I, you know, I had to get a new company. This new Dean, I just, I don't, I don't relate to them in any way. And uh, Why don't you relate so, to them? <laughs> no comment? Yeah, it's just, what can you say? You know, uh, they're just so, they just think so differently. You know, I was super close to Elliot. You know, Elliot was... Not only an amazing businessman, I mean, he was one of the smartest yeah. people I ever met, but he was just a really good person, you know, yeah. and, 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 you know, so he was a brother and, and we, and I, I don't, it's just not like that anymore. You know, I, yeah. I don't even, I, you know, so I, I left and I left on good terms, I, you know, I'm, but you know, there's nothing, 
there. But then my mom passed away. Like a few months later, I was like, sorry, man. Yeah, it was everything. And so I had to put the record on hold and deal with life. And, uh, but it's cool. I wanted to, you know, even though I'm known as a metal guitarist, I haven't really put out, I mean, I've got 15 solo albums. Not one of them you could really say is metal. And, and, and so I, I did it this time. I mean, it's really, you know, seven string guitars, you know, I tuned the low B down to a, I I tuned down, I have stuff down to an A flat, you know, so it's a, you know, tuned in fifths and, but I I really enjoyed making it and uh, it was fun. like a i think it's on beyond the outer limits there's a of around two minutes in it goes into this slow modern kind of mosh kind of sound <laughs> like it's like you yeah. know when people get in the pit and they're just going <laughs> in slow motion yes Well, that's, you know, this was supposed to be a vocal record. I We tried to reunite my former band, Nitro, and Chris Adler played uh, from Lamb of God and Megadeth. He played on several of the tracks of the album, and Victor Wooten did a guest solo. The actual lineup was going to be Chris, Victor, me, and then the original singer, but, you know, it just, what can you do? You can't relive it. You know, we found out the... The hard way, you know. I love the singer Jim. We're, we're really close, but but I think musically, with what what happened is when I had to take the time off just to deal with family matters, and I, I mean it went even worse. Even my sister, my younger sister, passed away. So I had all this stuff happening oh, at man, the same I'm time. Oh so sorry. Oh thanks. You, you know, yeah. I mean, but I, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not, and I'm not trying to, you know, elicit sympathy, sympathy or anything, but. It was a major ordeal all at the same, you know, they see things happen in threes. I got hit with the big three. And, and uh, but by the time I went to revisit the album, you know, you're talking about Victor Wooten, you know, Chris Allen, then Jim is real successful in, in, in outside of music and everybody was going their different ways. So I talked to the singer, Jim, and I said, why don't I just make it an instrumental record? So that's why you hear those moshes. That was really, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> but I, I, I felt... Yeah, I, I really enjoyed playing that mean and aggressive, you know, so this one. Yeah. There's another lick like a no backup plan has a real modern metal kind of progressive sound. Yeah. Yes, 
You know, I I've, I've, I have a signature seven strings, but not with Sawtooth. They're going to be coming in. I'm going to California uh, either in se- September for a couple of weeks yeah. or October at the latest, and I'm picking up the new seven string because all those riffs are seven strings. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so deep. I did part of it with my signature seven, and then when I switched companies, I did all the leads uh, using mostly six string. Now on Badlands, you actually do like almost like Holdsworthy and kind of like legato. Yeah. Can you show us a yeah. little of that approach? Well, well, you know, it's like you know, you know, or like uh, I also do things like. You know, so, and some of it. I like to tap, but I get into these zones where it's a really wide finger stretch. So the note below it is actually sounds higher than the note after it. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, the, yeah, it's like, like the G- three notes per string, right? What, what, did, what, yeah. was, the, what was that first pattern? Uh, I went like. Oh, like, I, like maybe it's the, just, the second pattern. Oh, that, yeah, that. Yeah, because yeah, I go like, it's like, it would be 12, 14, and then uh, 18. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like. So and then like I just go for 12, 14, 18, but then you're jumping from the first string to like the fourth string and the third, third string. Yeah, third it's, string. yeah, it's. Oh, wow, that's it. Yeah. I learned something already. Yeah. <laughs> that's fun. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It sounds. It's just warped, you know. And, yeah. and I mean, it just sounds. You know, it sounds. You know, alien technology or something. And uh, you know, and I, I do like to use. You know, a lot of my songs like wider intervals. Like you know, I like that. But I also yeah. too part of my style and and. Uh, is I just like sometimes I'll just hang uh, on a pattern or like just you know so I'll just I I do a lot of economy picking now and, and yeah. I like it you know I mean Frank Abali said a really great thing you know we were we were hanging out and I was talking to him because I'm known as more of an alternate picker but he said that he thinks uh, economy has a fifth gear. And I agree with him on that because I love to alternate pick. But if I want to take it from warp speed to trans warp drive, I start yeah. economy picking and it's just, it flies. It's really, you can kick it up a notch as far as, as uh, uh, you know, uh, BPMs. And, and it, it's, uh, it's so, it's interesting to me. You know, I, I found as I've got older, I, I use both almost equally now. Can you show us one of your latest or whatever something in the economy picking realm that you've been doing well it this is you know one of the things uh you know i do a lot of instructional videos and i have a you know that famous one speed kills heck yeah I, you know i always i always talk about when when i uh when i learned classical piano in school we learned from books for purely speed and technique that had short riffs so like just something like this down up down down up That's a two-string lick right there. 
Yeah. And and yeah. it's really just like down, up, down, down, up, up. And, so, yeah. and you can just, and you know, and you can take it all over the place. Huh? <laughs> you are <laughs> the quintessential shredder, man. <laughs> I like it. So you yeah. got the three notes on the fourth string. And now you got that, right. that was just a downstroke, and I'm going to continue with the downstroke to the third string. That's right. And then now, then start your upstroke on the third string. See, it's this. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's okay. it. And so you, <laughs> and you establish that economy picking pattern, and you and see that's the thing that I taught in my lesson. That's why they yeah. were so popular. Instead of you know, I see a lot, uh, there's a million great lessons and a million great players, and I don't take anything away from any of them. But I focus on short exercises that focus exactly on what you're trying to learn. And, and that's how I learn. I apply classical piano technique to teaching guitar. And, and because um, instead of playing these long riffs, which is great, I mean, we're going to end up doing that anyway, isolate this uh, one thing and say, okay, this is economy picking. What does that mean? down, down on one yeah. string or up, up. So I just created a very simple exercise. And if you can get this, you've got it. You know, it, right. it's, and that's how my methodology was. All right, one more time, demonstrate that pattern, how you jump around with it. Uh, oh, you mean how I was ripping? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay, it'll never be the same way twice. So, right. I, you know, that was an improv. But, you know, like, here's yeah. the pattern. Down, up, down, up. You know, down, up, down, down, up. Add a little alternate picking to just get in the, yeah, yeah. you know, there, the one limitation, I think, of economy picking that, see, with alternate picking, if a player's really great at it, you can go anywhere. You have no, you know, like my song, you have no boundaries as to what you can do. But economy picking has one shortcoming, and that is it has to lend itself to a pattern that accommodates economy picking. Yeah. And, and that's... That's the downfall of it, like, because, and that's where, you know, I've never talked to Frank about that. You know, he's so great at what he does, and but everything he plays falls into what he likes to play. Well, if I said, okay, brother, I want you to do this riff alternate picking, he would probably say, screw you, <laughs> you know, yeah. but it's only playable in alternate picking. He would have to find a workaround, and, and so that, that's the, and that's why I like them both so much. They're both really yeah. different. Before we move on, we're still talking about the song Badlands. I love this one thing you kind of have these dives. Like they actually oh, remind yeah. me, they remind me of the singer of Disturbed almost. He does that stuff with his oh, voice. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. And you know, speaking I, of I, Chicago guys. Yes, yeah, I know Dan Donegan. Not super well, but I love Disturbed. But you know, I wish I had my signature seven string to play, but yeah, just see, that's the thing that you know, when I, what, what I wanted to do in Nitro, uh, when we first wrote, when I was writing, because I wrote all the music to the album, it's, 
I wanted to make it like just aggressive and just and not just yeah. so uh you know shred like and and you know just but you know just especially with a seven string you know you know you can get that what yeah and uh it's pretty mean yeah it's yeah cool. i just like that song throwing that in uh-huh. there as a statement just a <laughs> yeah you know i just i like the groove like i i came up with that the like a lot of times you know i have you know drum software so like that but it sounds a lot meaner when you use seven strings but that and i just really liked it it was actually going to be called the grind Uh, and that but you know i i kept picturing like girls in the audience going (laughs) you know because it would have been a vocal song and so this is probably my least progressive record ever usually my thinking is if you can dance to it then i'm not writing it but <laughs> it's uh you know but this one I, I really wanted to have grooves uh you like and and uh beyond the outer limits the engineer actually you know because it's instrumental when he was mixing he helped me goes dude that's like beyond the outer limits man so i i actually got the title from him and sure. uh yeah and there was one other song a uh, 21st century beck he goes yeah. man he goes you're sounding a little like jeff beck on this in parts and so that's why I named it uh, that, because I'm a big fan of Jeff Beck. Yeah, aren't we all? That's great. Yes. Now, you reference No Boundaries, the great shred classic from yourself. Um, I Can you show me how you actually play the... I love the triumphant arpeggio section. It's kind of like... I need more distortion. Oh, yeah, yeah. What is... The- yeah. Okay. <laughs> Do you know, have you heard of a guitarist named Don Mock? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, he, see, one of the things I've done over the years and, and uh, is I've collected books. Uh, like, I, you know, I've done a lot of clinics in addition to concerts. So I walk into a music store and I'll say, and if they have a really good book selection, and uh, I w- I'll just buy a couple books. But when I used to teach guitar, and this is back going to when I was in college, I found this book. We had it at the uh, our music store, Don Mock Arpeggios. Yeah. So I stole the original arpeggio from Don Mock's book, and he called it a major seven. And then um, I was in a band called Holland in yeah. the mid '80s, and we were on Atlantic Records. We had Tom Warman produce our album. I mean, we had, you know I lived out in LA for a long time, and uh, I mean we were, it was a major deal. And we had this song called High Life. And it was, and the main riff is, it's real simple, but it's a killer song that. And of course, it's about being high, (laughs) even though I'm straight. But I came up with this part that. It's a takeoff of the verse chords. And then I went. And then, but right. what I did is like, and then and then I I jumped it down an octave. That's the part that kills me when you when you do it first <laughs> few times of the high octave and then you do the double octave. Show us the the double part again. Yeah, it goes and and again I have to give Don Mock credit. I stole the arp shape from him, uh, and then I just made it into a song. 
but it's like and then you repeat yeah. it down an octave And then I follow the chord. Then the very last one, I I take it down three octaves. That's how I end it. Yeah, that's quite a jump. I mean, it's definitely convenient that on the guitar, if you play something on the top two strings, if you jump down to the next set, you play the exact same shape. And then to the next, the last two strings. So I see the convenience yeah. factor there, but the jumping with a pick is pretty tri- tricky. Yeah. Yeah. I, You know, and again, I don't know how you would do that economy picking. I think in order to pull it off, you would have yeah. to either do pull-offs or, or you you know, do more legato, or you have to alternate pick it. But I alternate picked it. Yeah, you yeah, know, I you, did all alternate picking. You and Steve Morris are the only ones who can play that. <laughs> I love Steve Morse. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I love him. He's great. Yeah. Now I see. You've but, uh, got, so I see you've got one of your dampers on there. I think they're patented. Even what? Yes. What makes your? Uh, what? Tell us about the design of those spring string dampers you have around. That looks like it attaches well, under the strings, right behind the neck, underneath the. Yeah, and, the nut. and and you know, yeah, and you know, a lot of people use fret wraps now. That's more of a recent idea. And, and uh, but what I did was uh, when I came to California. I immediately started just, you know how it is, you're in a local, you're at the rainbow and you run into somebody, you know, big time person. And so I got to know Wayne Charvel really well. And then um, he, I kept telling him, you know, I'm getting a lot of noise uh, from this. And then he, and then we started talking and I'm a student of music. So I knew about George Van Epps and George Van Epps came up with the actual idea of a string dampener. He called it a damper, like you did. I yeah. changed it to dampener. It's probably more correct your way. I don't uh, know. <laughs> and, and then, uh, but his patent expired. So I looked at it. I had a, a, a person, an engineer, draw my idea so it was actually for real. And then I had them manufactured in California. And uh, Wayne knew of a guy. He knew everybody. You know, go ahead and get this made and this. So I, I first had them put on in California. And then uh, what I did is I, I had my own music company for a long time. My mom actually ran it. I never packed an order in my life, but she was great at that. And uh, so we used to sell them. And in and then, you know, I claimed a patent a long time ago. So it took yeah. years. And now the company in L.A., Chromacast, that's part of Sawtooth, uh, they manufacture and sell them. And, we, you know, we sell a lot because they're under $20 now. Oh, that's cool. So what's you know? the name of the product? It's called the MAB String Dampener. And it really works. I mean, like, you put this down, you can, you know, it's not like, you know, so when I set this down and it, it's got uh, like piano dampening felt, it really yeah. cleans up noise. Uh, and, you know, as some people say, I really did it for my double guitar, but I found now, you know, especially oh, yeah. since we s- sell them, I, I, I use it more and it does really work. Oh, you know, yeah. It, a lot of people need to string dampeners. Yeah. And, and, you know, people say, oh, that's cheating. But I look at it and say, when I most, you know, I was on Shrapnel Records very early in my career, right around the Ingve time. I went with Mike Varney actually to see Ingve's first show with Steeler at the Country Club in Reseda and when it was around. And uh, a, a lot of people used to tie socks and, and things oh, yeah. around their guitars to play leads. So it's always been around. It's just been kind of hidden. 
And yeah. uh, but nowadays, younger guitar players they'll use fret wraps. I don't like fret wraps as much because you can't do. What are you going to do after the first fret with a locking trim? You're, you're, it's over. So this yeah. works equally as good, and I can not use it if I don't want to. Yeah, I mean, I recorded a, a solo tune called Tri Tip. I don't normally play the stuff where I need a dampener, but I, I shoved a dollar bill in the strings to keep them from ringing out while I played something on the higher part. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, you know, even people, Greg Howe, he's a great tapper, you know, great fusion guitar player, good friend of yeah. mine. You know, he he always he used to use a hair tie, you know? And so, you know, we just, I just he came on and said, you know, if people think it's a crutch, well, great. But you, you play um, the Don Mark Arpeggio section of No Boundaries. You know, put the dampener on or off. It, you know, yeah. it, you know what it does do is it does clean up a couple things. Like, I mean, we're dealing with electric guitar, so there's a lot of stuff going on, and and it just cleans up that little bit of extraneous string noise that that just makes it so it's just so clean and fluid. You know and, what would be now? Cool. Do I? I'll go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, 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 I'm listening. I was going to say, you know what would be cool is if you got a piano sustain pedal kind of thing, because it's so much like a piano pad, like a key, and, just, <laughs> like, and you could just lift it up with a pedal, just like a piano player does. <laughs> well, you know, it's the you know you hit on exactly what I did. I I use piano dampening felt because, and George Van Epps did not. Uh, but I said, what's the longest string? You know, I know piano is a percussion instrument. It's not a string instrument, but I said, it's the longest string on planet Earth, a big nine nine foot long, you know, Steinway. And, and so I looked in it and I said, what the heck is this stuff? And yeah. there was this company in Chicago called Pickle Piano. And I went in there and, and these guys are, you know, they fix pianos, they tune them yeah. up, they, they, you know, and, and I asked them about the felt. I used to import it from France. That's where you get it. So I would get it in strips about this long. Then we cut it like two and a quarter, two and three quarter inches and I used to have all the metal parts made, and then I'd glue the the dampening felt myself. I'd make a whole bunch of them at a time, but I, I don't it. do that anymore. You know, we, we you know, Kermacast does that. Do you still use those little mandolin picks, or what do you use? Yeah, I, I have my own signature pick from Chromacast, but it's it's very much like a Jazz Three. Uh, it's one point three millimeters black, um, and I, I just I like those teardrop shapes. I, yeah. I, I always have my whole life. And uh, I just feel that you either hit it or you don't. It you know, there's no like middle ground. Is it got like the engraving on it, or you know what I mean, like a stamp, so it's got the raised parts? Yeah, like embossed. You mean, yeah, kind of, embossed. right? Yeah. Um. Um. No, it doesn't. It's, it's just uh, a flat pick. It's a flat pick with with some. But what it does is it comes when they. Uh, it's got this like kind of coating on it. When you get them, they look almost gray. But then when you play them, they get shiny black. But it actually, in the beginning, it's a little bit of a coating to to keep it on your fingers, oh, cool. and it's a byproduct of the way they the way yeah. they uh, cut the picks, and it's pretty cool. I really like them. Now, speaking of speed kills, what a classic shred instructional video! And as far as I know, it's still available and everything from Doug Mark's Metal Method, right? That's right. Yeah, we're we're still selling the heck out of it. We really are, and, and uh, yeah, it, and again, it's. You know, it, what I, you know, I started, you know, in the L.A. scene of the 80s. So my first Starlix instructional video was 1987. So and and by and I and, and that's, you know, the days they, there were no tab saw. There was no yeah. software. I actually I actually transcribed and notated the booklet myself. And, and uh, but what I said way back then, 99 percent is, is held up. 
you know, because I studied classical piano. I have a degree in music, and that yeah. doesn't make me cool or better. But I, I, I thought to myself, what was the... See, there's too many pundits out there. Oh, speed sucks. This They've been saying that since somebody could play fast. I mean, even the yep. term virtuoso, if you look at the actual definition, it was a... Back in the day, it was a derogatory term. It's kind of like, no feeling, man. David Gilmore puts more notes, <laughs> more feeling in one note. It, to be labeled a virtuoso was an insult. And, and I know that from history. But speed and technique have always been taught on, on classical instruments. And, and yep. piano has the best ones, man. And, and I studied them. And it all started to come to me that what's the common denominator? Short exercises. Re- played right. repeatedly over and so that's what i did with speed kills that's an amazing video man um a very oh thanks the lamborghini line is classic <laughs> <laughs> you know I, you know i i think being a good teacher is not just impressing people with how much you know but actually teaching something it's kind of like you know you yeah. look at you play hit songs you know there's a lot of songs you play that a lot of people know you don't have to explain the song you just play the song it's like me when i teach I, I, I'm, I'm trying to tell people I'm going to show you how to play fast. So I just came up with a soundbite. I'm going to give you the keys to the Lamborghini. And I, I just come up with sound bites and, and a way to teach that's easy to understand, but you're yeah. really getting a lot of benefit from it. You know, that's my idea. And it's so funny because yeah. I, you know, I was so young there. I'm going to give, I can't even say it that high. I'm going to give you, but you know, people over the yeah. years, I've had it happen thousand plus times. Dude, I didn't get the keys, man. I'm still waiting for the keys, bro. And I, so I have my response. I've given you the keys to the Lamborghini. It's up to you to drive the car. Yeah. <laughs> so learn how to drive a know. stick shift, buddy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so one thing that I noticed when you do your blazing, alternating picking, you remind me of players that I know who blaze that, like my friend Terry Lauderdale, very little motion in the hand when you're going up and down. Yes. Yeah, I called it economy of motion. Uh, you know, I, you know, especially be, being, you know, now that I'm older and I've toured a lot and, you know, just done so many things, the things that I said back in the day, I, pra- I practice what I preach. And it's really held up. See, I always tell people when you play guitar, you want to be as close to like if your hand was at your side. I mean, think about blues guitar players or people... Yeah. You know, when they, it's, see, I mean, with vibrato wings, one thing, you have to vibrato like a blues player. I mean, even Ingve Malmsteen, beautiful vibrato, he's, he puts his thumb over. So you have to do that. Yeah. But I try to play with my hands. Is, so, and even when I'm sitting down, I sit classical guitar style. So when you stand up, you're right in line with yourself. Yeah. And, but with my right hand, I lucked out, Jude. I totally lucked out because I, I, I was left handed. And there were no left-handed guitars when I was a little boy. And so, and I anchored my fingers on the strings, which is unusual. And, and You're saying it, when you picked, you kind of held your top two finger, your, on the yeah, high string? Yeah, you see, it's yeah. like my, my oh, yeah. three. And, and what I do was, what I found is that it, it's very limited motion on my elbow and very limited motion in my wrist. It's a combination of the two. I'm actually just doing this. And right. it's really a limited motion. Now, if I had it to do all over again, I, I've I've broken it down into two disciplines. 
Either people play, well, actually three. You either play with your one finger or multiple fingers on the body of a guitar, or you do a free-floating uh, playing, for example, Al Miola, uh, John McLaughlin. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, there's other guitar players, uh, even Joe Bonamassa. But Bonamassa is interesting because he plays ripping like this, but then sometimes he'll put his fingers on the guitar. So, right. but it's really finger, you know, it sounds like the Karate Kid, hands on, hands off. But it's <laughs> it's hands on the guitar, hands off. Yeah. And then a third one is a combination of the two. Or the palm on the bridge. Yeah. I guess I mess around with all three of those a little bit, but yeah, I don't yeah. play that fast. Well, you sounded really fast when you were playing that, that Don Mark, you know, that when, Mark. Or, or, so. When I get fired uh, up, I can be a little bit fast, you know, because back when I was a kid, I definitely practiced a lot of alternating three note per string stuff but yeah i uh, like four notes too i find i use four notes because it, it's chromatic you know yeah. four notes are really fun you know that so you know but but yeah three notes are, are really you know it's it's the word is idiomatic it's very idiomatic for the guitar just yeah. like uh you know certain things are good on saxes but uh yeah it's i'll tell you alternate picking to me it was you know i'm left-handed i'm pretty sure steve morse is left-handed vinnie morse left-handed and so if you if you notice left-handed players are not always the most gifted tappers and that's the thing because it's not our our strong hand and so but that's one thing i've worked at a lot over the years but yeah i it's economy of motion when i pick the only thing like i've noticed like for example if you hold your pick like this and you don't rest it on the guitar like i'll do like a you still can palm mute it like even me I can still palm mute so it's really it's really whatever one you pick but what one thing but I've I I accidentally got this technique and then once I got older and I started analyzing great players like I used to watch George Ben the players I I watched and, and I watched their technique were Benson uh L.D. Miola, McLaughlin, and then uh, I liked Robert Fripp a lot too. And I realized they are not doing the same picking mechanism as I am. So what do we have in common? And that's where I figured out why mine worked for me. It yeah. was weird. You want to show us a quick four note per string pattern? Yeah. Uh, what I do is, uh, these are just chromatics. I mean, like... You know, yeah. or I could even go like a. So what is that pattern? Yeah, like I, I did a whole tone. Whole tone thing? Uh, whole tones, yeah. I love whole tones. Like. For anyone who yeah. doesn't know what whole tone is, it's just all whole steps. That's right. Yeah, and, then you, just and you have one, one, one whole chord in the whole tone scale, an augmented chord. Yeah, I love it. Now, looking back on the Nitro video, Freight Train, which is like <laughs> the, the epitome of shred and also the epitome of hair. Was yes. Like your singer, Jim Gillette. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how much, is, was that an entire can of hairspray in that? Like, well, I, 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 I've got, if I can give you a little story behind Nitro, it was great. Yeah. 
Yeah. I was in a band in LA. We were like headlining Gazzari's, the Whiskey, the Trooper. I, I had the Michelangelo band. And, you know, I was a little bit older, but again, we were all really young. I mean, our lead singer was 21. Our bass player was 23. And so Jim Gillette was a little bit, he was actually 19 when I met him. And we did a record together. He hired me called Proud to Be Loud. And the bass player, Ralph Carter, was Eddie Money's bass player and a great songwriter. He, you know, he like uh, co-wrote Shaken, and it was that era. And Ralph yeah. was a great producer. And 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 one of the things that I'm not known for, but you can hear on on the latest album, uh, it's like when you were talking about early rhythm guitar. I was a I'm a major label quality rhythm guitarist. I I've got the feel, even though I can play fast. And, and that's what Ralphie said. Like when we were, because I had to do a lot of rhythmic things. And I and I had a really good groove. And so anyway, Jim started talking. I was headlining the clubs, but the labels didn't like our band. They didn't like our, you know, they just, we just weren't getting that buzz, you know, to get that major label deal. So but this when is like Jim right and, when like Poison are getting signed and stuff like that's that? That's right. And Do you know like, Howie H? I'm not sure. Howie Huberman? He 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 owned Guitars R Us on, oh. on Sunset. Yeah. Right, right. I'm but new anyway, to LA. I've only been here 10 years. 11 years. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, Howie H was Poison's manager and he was Nitro's manager. So, but the whole thing with Nitro is that we have this 19 year old lead singer that could literally, he had a super high range. He's an athlete. He also is a walking death machine. I mean, he's so he's got, he, you know, he's a, he was a trained fighter even back then. He's a black belt in Gracie Jiu Jitsu. Uh, wow. Now he, he trains officers and military and, and but it's a work ethic. He could sing super high. was really good looking. I could play really fast, but I didn't grow up in that. I grew up in the cheap trick kind of thing. Like if you listen yeah. to the original album, Holland, that I was on at Atlantic, there's fast guitar, but it's it's songs and melody. And, and, and you know, there's a method to my yeah. lead madness. And the label said this. This is where Freight Train came. We wrote this song called Freight Train. And and our label had, and it says, look it. He, our, the president of our label, Bob Cahill, came into the studio, and I was doing these really nice taste of leads, and he goes, Angelo, I thought you could play fast. I go, what do you mean? He goes, I want you to overplay all the time. That's exactly what he said. I go, what? I mean, it's like, Wah! I mean, I come home from the studio like, yeah. And then my arm. <laughs> yeah, and, and, but he kept saying higher, faster. So they came up with this marketing thing, the high... The high, it was the loudest band we we carried massive production to go into rock clubs uh, back then because they had the money and, and uh, but we were the over the top of everything the highest singing the fastest guitar the loudest band yeah. and we even and we did a spoof of Motley Crue we actually looked like a thrash band live but that was Jim's real hair and, and so yeah. but he got extensions to make it look longer but from here up it was all his yeah. If you saw us before the photo shoot, we looked like Gumby. We were like two-dimensional characters. Every piece of hair that could stand up, we were like Sun Ra. <laughs> you know, oh, wow. it was like we had a halo of hair. But I mean, all Aquanet extra super hole. But Jim's hair was so big when we did the photo shoot, and he had a, a heavy metal. His suit had two thousand metal studs and weighed over eighty pounds. So it was kind of like a spoof. It was like OFR, out effing rages. It yeah. was like a, we were having a good time with it. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't as serious yeah. a, as people thought. But 
this is great. When when he got into my car, I had this little hatchback at the time, and I named her Little Sheba. And so he gets in the Sheba, and, and he reclines the seat. His hair is so massive. It's like hit me in the face. <laughs> he shut the car door on his hair. <laughs> it was like out to yeah. here. But from the side, it was too, there was no... There was no hair was standing back back. It was either up yeah. or to the side. I yeah, it was those great. Days. I saw I saw a couple of big metal shows when I was like thirteen, like the Scorpions, and like you'd see oh, people yeah. you'd see people coming to the show dressed like that with all the the hair so big, <laughs> girls and yeah. guys. And, oh, I, God. and that yeah. was up in the Bay Area. I can't even imagine what the Sunset Strip was like. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I remember watching. Uh, Recently, you know, being here, you know, home with COVID, this thing, I mean, I'm not sick at all, but, you know, just having to self-quarantine. I was watching a Motley Crue biography, not the movie, an actual biography of them. And I'm watching how crazed and almost depraved they were, right? And I'm like, oh, my God, I never knew they were like that. Even though I had met Motley Crue, we had the same producer, Tom Worman, when I was in the band Holland. And, you know, I I know them, but, you know, we're not, you know, best buddies. And I'm like, this is depraved. And I said... Wait a second! I was there, and I was like that. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, yeah, L.A. was really so much fun back then. I, I'm really, I'm glad I lived through it. You know, and I'm not yeah. a druggie. I'm perfectly straight. I'm, I drink beer and wine occasionally, but yeah. I wasn't a druggie then either. Yeah. But we had so much fun. I mean, the look, the girls, the the, the strip. I mean, you know, from from the uh, back, basically from Gazaris almost down to the whiskey. And especially around the bow and the rocks, so you could stand outside and hang out. The scene was outside too. Yeah, it was yeah, amazing. Some sidewalk and then a million yeah. flyers on all the po- on all the telephone poles. Yeah. I guess. Well, that's before they made it West Hollywood. It used to be just Hollywood. A- right. And uh, yeah, it was really a great time. I mean, I loved it, and the music was fun. You know, nothing but a good time. I mean, even Nitro. We Jim, because he was such an extreme fighter. We only had two types of songs. We're either going to kill you or we like you. <laughs> you know, we love you, baby. You know, awesome. nasty reputation. You know? Now, you had the incredible four-neck guitar on there. And not to be confused with, like, you know, a Rick Nielsen, um, Joel Dancy, Six. Hamer kind of thing, which had all the necks on one side. You had them two yeah. going out. It looked like an X-Wing fighter from Star That's Wars. Right. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. Uh, if you were to put your... Uh, picking hand on the neck right now to show somebody a exercise because i know right now you're not holding your double guitar but where, where where does that whole thing start i know that it starts with you being a classical guitar student i mean a classical piano student and learning counterpoint and playing independent lines on right. both hands but as far as being a guitar player what's a gateway to getting into doing two-handed stuff or even using two guitars at once well well the one thing about two guitars it's it, there's a physical element to it that, for example, a lot of people, Stanley Jordan's a great example, but that's two right-handed guitars, and I'm not taking anything away from his greatness. So right. first of all, you have to, you're playing a mirror image yeah. of, of everything to start with. So when you're doing counterpoint, it gets really bizarre because you're not moving in the same direction. You're moving counter <laughs> to the, you know, so it's, um, but what I, what I did was we're going to actually be releasing a limited edition amount of double guitars at Sawtooth, and I'm going to do a um, I'm going to show a program book, uh, do a short program book. The first thing that I did was, and this one of the things that people think is one of the coolest things, 
Okay, you have your pick. I'm, you know, I play right-handed now, majority, even though I'm lefty. Your pick's yeah. in your right hand, fretboard hand's in your left. So what I did was I took the pick and my yeah. fretboard hand and I crisscrossed it. But it's still yeah. the same pick, but it yeah. looks warped. And then you just play it backwards. So that's, yeah. you know, because... That I, seems like I the did, most approachable of the... That seems a, like if I messed around with that for two days, I might be able to come up with a lick that I could do. Something simple. You could. <laughs> Any, you know, you know, you're a musical person. People that are talented in music find a way to make music. That's the way I look at it. And uh, but yeah, it's once you find the slot where it's comfortable for you, you know, you have to adjust the strap, of course. And because, yeah. uh, but there's a physical element that when you put it actually around your neck, it just it's like all right, <laughs> you know, yeah, all right, <laughs> you know, got a, yeah, you know, it's like a bowling ball around your neck. And uh, but that was the first thing I did. And and what I what I did was when I got it, I actually looked at the guitar for about six months. I was in the band Holland. We were all from Chicago, but we met in L.A. And I was staying at my parents' house, even though I'd moved out. You know, we I had lived in L.A. already for several years. I, I came back home, staying in my old room with my parents. And I remember my dad, I wouldn't play it. He goes, son, are you going to play that guitar? I go, ah, I don't know. He goes, well, stop looking at it and start playing it. And what I did was I, I read an article. You know, I'd never gotten to see Jimi Hendrix. That's Even though I'm older, that's not my era. That's before I was old enough to yeah. really see a concert. You know, I was just a little kid. And uh, so it's, uh, um, but they had an article that said Jimi Hendrix could play guitar in more positions than anybody that's ever played it. I didn't know what the heck that meant, but it gave me the idea to write down exactly what I can do with this guitar. Yeah. So I figured, okay, I can play harmonies, parallel, you know, parallel harmonies, counterpoint. So what I did, the first thing is I would do like... And then on the other side, and then I also resigned myself to the fact that when I play piano, this is my bass hand, this is my treble hand. So I kept it the same on the double guitar. So when I go, yeah, and and, uh, and the string dampeners really helped because I had no way to block the strings before, and I used to get noise at first. But once I got the string dampeners. Uh, it was very easy to go. Then you hear on the other side. Now, I love this. I forgot when and where you do it, but you do like Pipeline. Is that the surf song? Yes, that's right. What, show us the two parts yeah. to Pipeline. What's the okay. lead part? Now, now, what I did was Pipeline is in the key of E that... Now, that's called an Alberti bass. That's a classical thing. It's one, five, three, five, whether major, minor. So what is uh -huh. pipeline? What's Mozart? An Alberti bass. So is surf music. So I said, this is awesome. But with the string dampener, I couldn't do it in E, so I did it in C-sharp minor. And then, then I go like... You're tapping with your yeah. Pick I'm going. Hand. I'm playing this. I'm going like and I do yeah. that on the other guitar with your picking hand. Yeah. You're tapping the melody. Yeah, and and with the string dampeners, uh, you know, I found I don't even use my yeah. uh, my neck position. 
hiccup. I, I don't. I never use it on the double. But yeah, I, and I can tap it. And in C sharp minor, I have control over. Uh, you know, I do a lot of fretboard hand muting too, where my first yeah. finger is always blocking something. So, but yeah, and then I and, and but it sounds great. And then and then uh, right before it, I I pay tribute to the Almond Brothers. I went. Yeah. And that, and that. You know, so it's you know I did it in parallel fifths. And, Remind me where know, but, people can see that doing the where where did you do pipeline again? I in my double guitar uh, solo, and I do whipping pulse. Like I know I've uh, seen it, but if people want to find it, where do they find it? Uh, my you can go to my YouTube page. Uh, yeah. It's just Michelangelo Badio, or go to Guitar World magazine because I was a writer for Guitar World for a long time, and I did a live playthrough. They filmed it. There's no edits whatsoever. You can see it for real. And it's got millions and millions of views. Yeah, yeah. So, but but you can go to Guitar World site too. But or just type Michelangelo. You don't even need to write yeah. video. Double guitar solo. Yeah, it's, and it'll a, pop it's like up. a white background. It's just you and a white background. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, I didn't like the background too much, but oh, was I, cool. I was really happy. I was happy with the performance we did in a Manhattan there, and and uh, you know it was yeah. Guitar World. So I had no. Uh, you know, editing, say, you know, they did what they they wanted. And I liked it like that. You know, it's real deal. Rad. Now you have a, what what are you dreaming about of 1986 with your new song on the new album, which is, by the way, called More Machine Than Man. Dreaming oh, of thanks. 1986. That's a real pretty ditty right there. Are you familiar with the Topanga Canyon area? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, we used to go, we used to live in Woodland Hills and, uh, when Nitro got signed. And, uh, and, uh, and, and before that, actually, we had an investor, actually, uh, a Japanese investor that, that he really liked Jim. They just liked the combination. Uh, of, and so Nitro was kind of together uh, for uh, well over a year before we actually started playing out. We were writing songs and... And, and so anyway, I used to go to Topanga Canyon right in the foothills, and there was this tree, you know, kind of, and we used to call it the music tree. And we would just sit there and, and write songs. And Jim and I were, we wrote a lot of songs. We wrote over 30 songs for our second album. And, and you know, we was, yeah. he was very prolific, and he had that, he had that athlete work ethic. Like, Come on, dude, let's write, bro. Let's write, bro. Come on, man. And so it reminded me of, like, when I first, when I was living in California, I mean, I, I've lived all over, you know, at first I was just, you know, a uh, you know, starving musician. And I used to find parks, I'd find a tree with an acoustic guitar, I'd bring a boom box that I could record on cassette, and I would yeah. record myself playing and I'd play acoustic. And it just, when I was writing that, I was sitting in my studio here, you know, and the label wanted 13 songs and I only had 12. And I had 12 almost done and I'm like, man, I'm just not going to go through this whole process of writing another big production. So I started messing around my, on my acoustic, and it kind of brought me back to, like, hanging out in Topanga Canyon, right by the foothills there and underneath this tree. And so I was kind of yeah. thinking back to, to the 80s, that's and specifically cool 86. Yeah, very that's cool. kind of where I got yeah. it. And if you notice, it's very Dockin-ish, you know, yeah. like where you get the, like, I used to cape a button. 
isn't it? You know, those those ominous kind of 80s chords, you know, and yeah. uh, that Def Leppard uh, docking kind of thing. Yeah. So, and, and that's where I got the idea. Now, playing guitar, back to just standard guitar as we are, forgetting about the whole realm of double guitar, but you are also known for playing with your fretting hand just goes over the neck. Yeah. Sometimes you're like back and forth in some of your classic videos. Uh, yeah. Would you yeah. like to show us uh, one of your uh, over the neck approaches with your fretting fingers over the top of the neck? Yeah, I, I you know, being left-handed, this was my strong hand. And, and, you know, I played on stage since I was 10 years old. And I mean, it was a no-brainer for me. I, you know, I'm just flamboyant to begin with. You know, I just been my style. You know, I'm mellow off stage, but when I get on stage, and I mean, we used to do songs like Roundabout by Yes, and I would get... Yeah, and then... And you're playing right now with your left hand over the neck, not under. Yeah. But I... And then, you know, it was the last song of the set. And so what happened was, you know, I'd get feedback like, hey, man, what what is that weird... You're playing like a piano, man. I go, do you like it? And so the audience encouraged me to do it, and that's a really long song. And there's a lot of singing, and, and this part goes on for days. So I started getting bored and started messing around going... back and forth yeah and then i came up with the riff and i and people were like the more i did it the more like wow that's insane and then i saw richie blackmore in concert and he did not play over and under some people said he did but he didn't but when he was doing when you know he could have gone like he could have done this You know, he could have done all that stuff, but he wrote the riff, and I'm not going to tell him how to play it, but I saw him do this move. This was his over-the-neck move. He He was really flamboyant. He went like... You know, he made this big arc. So so he's got his hand up up in the air for those in podcast land, and then he swooped down onto the neck. Yeah, yeah, and like a half circle. He swoops down and then lifts his arm up again all the way up. Yeah. And it was really overt and dramatic. And I and so I said, that's what I need. So I started going like, instead of... I realized open strings are my friends. So... <laughs> that looks so cool. Going back yeah, and, and it works. Yeah, and then I stole the riff from Gary Moore. Yeah. And then if you get a pattern like like That looks so <laughs> damn cool. I can't believe it. It's hilarious, man. Yeah, like and, even and if you're you know, like a hundred rows back, that would look so cool. <laughs> well, thanks. I know, you know, I I used to when I did that, uh, you know, coming up in in the L.A. you know scene of the '80s, I had my own thing with the double guitar and this. So yeah. I I had something that, and it didn't make me a better player, but I had something unique that that you know, I mean, the first band I saw in L.A., I was a Midwestern kid. I come out there, I look like I should have been selling you know, insurance, 
you know, I did not look like a rocker, especially in those days, you know, because I was getting into the big hair. And uh, I went to the Troubadour and I didn't know who I was going to, I didn't know the name of any bands. All of a sudden I see this band and guys holding the members of the band. They're walking, they're crawling on all fours. The logo bursts in the flames and the dude is throwing raw meat into the audience. <laughs> it was Wasp. The very first band oh, yeah. I saw in L.A. was Rot Wasp. And I'm like, you know, and the way Blackie Lawless sings, I'm like, oh, my God. I was just like, wow. And, and it took yeah. me about a year to get my image together. You know, I just morphed into it. It's not like I try, you know, just hanging out with people who look like Wasp, which I did. Uh, but this over-under really served me well because nobody did it. You know, it was my thing. And just like my double. So I immediately had interest and then when I got with uh, uh, the first band, Holland, we had a great lead singer. As you know, it's lead singer. I mean, they're number yeah. one. I mean, no matter what I do, uh, the singer sings it great. Yeah. You know, I mean, Journey with, without Steve Perry would never have been as big. I like Greg Raleigh a lot. Don't get me wrong. He's great. But Steve Perry's voice, the voice, you know, yeah, yeah. It, it's it, it's key. But yeah. uh, I was fortunate to play in bands with two great singers, and, and I was able to really do this a lot you know that's so awesome it's, well you know i used to tour with billy sheehan it was, yes, it was called great. b times three so it had three great bass players jeff Berlin, Stuart ham and billy sheehan and i was a guitar oh, wow guitar player we got lots of great hang time and he used to tell me he told me a similar story where you know he'd be playing with david lee roth or steve vi or something and like vi would be doing like a 10 minute solo and he'd just be holding like one note for a while he'd be like yeah. And after a while, he's like, how many different ways can I play this note? You have to hand over the neck, just anything to like keep the groove going, but change it up so that it would stay interesting for him. That's right. You, 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 yeah, you yeah. die of boredom. I mean, I felt the same <laughs> way. It's like, it's so boring to play it. Yeah, well, it's ex exactly. Well, it's funny, uh, not to sound old timer, but us old timers, man, we got, we remember stuff like it just you talking about that scene, like even if shred metal or hair metal whatever type of sunset strip metal it wasn't your thing as a person i just miss there being scenes like i don't know if there's scenes anymore i mean forget covid19 but something to do with the uh the interwebs have brought so many different styles together like when i was growing up as a teenager there was a thrash funk scene in the bay area that was so cool Every night of the week, there were great bands doing this sound. It was a sound. Like you talk about going to see Wasp. What a scene. You know, yes. I, I hope that someday there are scenes again where you go to one particular area of the country or some city and there's just a movement of music where yeah. people... No, I, 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 yeah, but you know, because you, you're right. Because see, when I went and saw Wasp, when I hadn't saw... I, I This was around February. It was around either late February or early March. I didn't see my parents until that December, going home for Christmas. When I came home, my mom and dad go, what happened to you? <laughs> I go, what do you mean? Because then all of a sudden, you know, my hair, I grew my hair, I dyed it black, I started getting tattoos. They go, what happened to you? I didn't realize I had morphed in to this LA style rock star. And here's the thing that was so shocking about then like you said the scene i used to there were bands in chicago that i go man these guys are really cool they were just local bands and i didn't have the look back then i was more a student of music not really concerned about the image la kind of turned me into that that you had to have you know at that time image was 
really important. The music's always first, but you had to have an image to go along. I remember when I became like LAized, so so to speak, and, and I was home for around Christmas, I go to a local rock club in Chicago and I saw the same bands that I thought were really cool. And I'm going, these people, they look like jokes. These, they're, they're like amateurs. Uh, this is LA, the best of the best was in LA at that, and the Bay Area too, Metallica, that thrash scene. And I mean, yeah. you know, there were scenes and I think the internet's changed that because if you didn't go to LA back then, you had even the Bon Jovis of the world, they spent a lot of time in California recording there. It wasn't New York. It was Los Angeles was the center of the music universe back then. And it was, it, you didn't really understand the big league until you were there. And when, because people that weren't there, you didn't have the internet. They didn't see it. They didn't experience it. I mean, look at Billy Shin. You know, who did he play with? Vi. You know, he had a very, you know, Jeff Berlin. I, I know Jeff not really well. Ph- phenomenal. What a jazz bass player. And Stuart Ham's great, too. Yeah. Um, it, it's a, uh, but yeah, it's that Grover Jackson used to tell me it's the drug that's L.A. There's something about L.A. that changes people and makes them as creative as they can possibly be if, they, if they're there long enough. It really affects them. And I thought it was true. But the only scene I see now is maybe in Nashville. Yeah, yeah. You know? Definitely a professional scene. But Yeah, but but you know there's also sounds like you had the LA sound or like going back to million years ago, the Motown sound in Detroit or or the Go-Go right. sound in DC. I just I like it when there's these specific sounds that really came together and I, w- I wonder if there are specific sounds still coming together now or if it's all kind of mixed up because we're all on the web, on Facebook together. <laughs> it's, all, it's all mixed up. And, you know, that's another great observation because I used to record at 24-track studios in Chicago. Now, it was expensive, you know, two-inch tape analog. We never got it to sound good. I'm like, this sounds like crap. Why doesn't this sound good? And I go to L.A. with the same gear. All of a sudden, the drums sounded right. The mix sounded right. It was powerful. It was in your face. Because the Midwest, they used to get these little wimpy drum sounds and you know, I mean, even Cheap Trick is from, you know, Rockford. They're not far from me. But they recorded in California with Tom Werman. He lived in L.A. and, you know, Laurel Canyon. And so, again, it was that L.A. magic. There was something yeah. there. The studios, it just sounded. I remember for the first time in my life, I went, this sounds right. This sounds the way it's supposed to sound. And it was very interesting. I, I really love those times. But obviously, at some point, you had your fill of California and... What 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 led you to move back towards your home area? Well, um, I you and, know, and you're not I, alone. I, a lot of people live here for ten, twenty years, and then go back. Well, you know, being signed twice to two major labels, and I have a lot of experience because my the first band I was in Holland, we did a great album, and I've always been the main songwriter with the singer. So you know, it's this, uh, it's 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 a it's not correct when they say oh. You know, oh, people that play fast can't write. It, you know, I was good enough to get signed to Warner Brothers twice, and I wrote all the songs with the singer. But I saw how how the label actually worked. I saw in Nitro, they turned us into a parody, The Biggest Hair, and our record company said, look, it, if you do what I, we say, we're going to ship 100,000 units. We're going to give you all the tour support you need. I mean, we were we were bringing full production in rock clubs. I mean, it was like insane. We had a rider truck, tour bus, you know, you, you know, and uh, it was a totally different thing. And we weren't as happy with the music 
we thought they turned us into a parody. You know, me playing fast all the time, Jim singing high, but that's what they wanted. They wanted the most extreme metal band ever in every way. Look, playing high, fast, uh, loud. And we gave it to them and it was successful. And so I, w- I had music that I loved that wasn't successful in one band, music that I was unhappy with that was super successful. So what I did was I found out that I could, I, I, I found out about guitar clinics. I was asked to do them and I found out I was good at it because I'm, I'm a good public speaker. I'm not mic shy and, 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 I, and, and from my teaching. Yeah. And, and so I, I, they were really successful. And so that's what made me move back to the Midwest. I realized that first of all, it doesn't really matter where I am anymore. My career's not based on where I live because I'm, I, you know, I had so many shows doing clinics and here I'm flying around the world, staying in five-star hotels, beautiful life. I'm getting paid net money. And, and then also my mom and dad got sick at that time. And, and so I thought, you know, my family's in Chicago. I, I've been in LA 11 years already. Uh, I love California. I still love it. But and I'm there a lot. Uh, I was yeah. already there, you know, once this year for like three and a half weeks, and, and uh, before COVID. But I, I didn't need to live there anymore. It, my job didn't mm-hmm. require me to live there, and that's when the home studio thing started. My first solo album, No Boundaries, I used two ADATs and do it in my parents' bedroom while I was waiting for a house that I bought to be built. It's pretty cool. Hey man, know? I have an ADAT for sale if you want one. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you. Those air lights used to freak me out. I'd see those yeah. little red air lights. I'm like, oh my god! But but the sound was great back then. You know, it was weird. It went it was a very strange transition from analog 24 track California style to ADAT 16 bit that yeah. just didn't have all the it didn't have all the information. It was kind of weird. Very yeah, yeah. ADAT era. So yeah. Now what? Tell us. What's your amplification of choices these days? And what, what well, are you playing I, through right now, first of all? Because right now you might be going direct. And then what do you like to do when you're in a, in a room rocking out? I see some Yeah, yeah, I'm, go- I'm going direct right now because, you know, we're recording yeah. it. I wanted to make it easy. You know, just a, uh, you know, it's just a sound in my DAW system that I, that I work, like a Michael, you know, an MAB lead sound that I have. Uh, but what I normally use is, uh, you, you know, being a clinician, and, and I do one-man concerts too. I never was concerned about an amp endorsement uh, because I was so heavily involved with the other company, Dean, and the owner that it was in my best interest not to have an amp endorsement because I could play anywhere in the world. The main thing was that I always played the guitars, so yeah. it was a very calculated move. But I found out that I I like to I I know all you know campers, you name it uh, you know fractal systems. I just like two amps. I just do. And so when I signed with Sawtooth, I, I'm not doing clinics like I used to anymore. You know, that market is, it's totally different now. And, and you know, I, I do mostly concerts now, and a lot of one-man shows too. Uh, but I use Sawtooth tube amps. And, uh, uh, you know, cool. I've got a signature model out, but they're great. You know, Celestian speakers, you know, really high quality. And then I put my own special Russian tubes in there. And, and uh, you know, I don't use groove tubes or anything, but I, I like tube amps. I oh. just like them. Do they build those in California? Those amps? No, they make them overseas, and uh, but they have uh, all the specs. You know, we found this yeah. out. Even it's just you know, if you hand build a guitar in the United States, it's going to be two to three thousand. 
But if you have all the parts that are United States parts, you ship it overseas, now it's 900, you know, or 800. So we, you know, we have all the components, the Celestian speakers, but we have them manufactured overseas. And Sawtooth has great quality control. I mean, they inspect everything. They're really first-class operation. And I, I, uh, the imps behind me, those stacks, I took them on tour. Uh, We did... 29 shows in 32 days all over the U.S. Well, it was the southern and the and the eastern part of the United States wintertime, you know, but in the south, it was nice and warm. No problems. Yeah, you know, that's it. Well, I want to try one of those for sure. They look really cool, too. They're like orange and black or, or yellow, tan yeah. and black. They got a nice yeah, vibe. Tan. Yeah, very vintage. They yes. look cool. Like, again, if you're far away in the back of the room, they still look cool from a distance. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, did you want to play? A, um, you said you might have a. a uh, yeah. Do you want me to? Do you do you want to play the whole thing or just a couple minutes? I can it? play the whole thing if you like. Whatever you want to do. Like, what do you think? Okay. Yeah, I can play the whole thing.
<laughs> that was mind blowing. Just mind boggling how you could throw all that together and play all and great playing. Man, keep it alive to your a billion and five. I you're really inspiring, man. I really appreciate it. Man, this is such a great hang. Thanks, Michael. Again, I just want to give a quick shout out here to Blue Microphones who make this possible, these kind of hangs. Blue has been making mics for 25 years, and they have the perfect mic for you, me, all of us at bluemic.com. Blue guitar is safe.